This program is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. For more shows like this, visit our website at CosmicPotato.com. Do you know the difference between warp drive and impulse power? Do you have an opinion over which design of the USS Enterprise was the best? Do you remember when Klingons didn't have ridges on their foreheads? If you answered yes to those questions, then chances are you're a Star Trek fan. I would like to invite you to listen to my new podcast, The Prime Direction. For 50 years, Star Trek has been affecting people from all walks of life, teaching life lessons and changing the lives of people all over the world. The Prime Direction is the story of those fans. On every episode, I'll sit down with a lifelong fan of Star Trek and trace their fandom back to the very beginning. We'll talk about their favorite characters, the toys they played with, and what their favorite series is. But more importantly, we'll talk about how the show has made their life better. So join me on The Prime Direction on the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. It's available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, as well as our website at CosmicPotato.com. And if you'd like to be on the show, just send me an email at mail at CosmicPotato.com, and we'll arrange a time for you to tell me about your Prime Direction. In a world without a single unified voice... Humanity has been left searching for answers to the unknown. Now, one podcast has the power to change that and to spread its voice across the earth for all mankind to hear. Welcome to Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast. We interrupt this program to annoy you and make things generally irritating. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 35 of Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast. My name is Sean and here in the virtual studio I have a couple of guests with me. First of all, this friend of the show and host of several podcasts on the Simply Syndicated Network, Rick. How are you, sir? I am just dandy, thanks. How are you tonight? I'm doing great and joining us for the first time on this show from somewhere deep within the Canadian wilderness is Kennedy. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Sean. Good to be here. So, uh, last September around this time, we, uh, we did an episode, or I did an episode with John and Hai Chan that was our favorite movies that had to do with school because it was kind of a back to school kind of theme. And this year, um, I thought I'd do something similar because, you know, college is starting and, uh, all the kids are starting to go back to school and everything. We're a little bit late. It was actually a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, so we're going to do coming of age movies tonight. Anyway, before we do the, the the news and the subject for the night, I thought we'd play a, a little game. And this uh, this game is called Fresh or Rotten. And the way it works is uh, it's based on Rotten Tomatoes. So if you don't know what Rotten Tomatoes is, it's a website that takes all of the reviews from uh, for a movie that's given by critics and gives them a percentage of good or bad and certifies whether it's fresh or rotten or whatever. So... 
the way the game works is I went to my 2015 Leonard Malton movie guide and just flipped through the pages and stuck my finger on a page and uh, made a list of movies. Now, all these movies have come out sometime between 1990 and now because if you go before 1990, a lot of times Rotten Tomatoes doesn't have a score for it. So, um, so I made a list of yeah, <laughs> I made a list of six movies, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you guys the the name of the movie and the year that came out, and if you need it, I'll give you what the movie was about. But I'm sure you've probably heard of all of these, and y- y- the two of you are going to guess what the Rotten Tomato score is, and whoever comes closest gets the point. All right, and uh, I'm going to now. Be, be, if you just covered this, I apologize. I saw I had a message uh, from from Kennedy <laughs> on Skype, and I guess you sent me a, a, a friend request a little while ago, and I was just clicking. Yeah, on it, I, so. I have to redo all my uh, contacts ever since the flood because I've replaced everything. Oh, so right, I realized yeah. as I was dialing in that you're not on my contacts list. I thought I better just throw that out there just in case. Yep, and I, I'm glad you did, but it also distracted me for a second, which is not hard to do. Short <laughs> <laughs> uh, attention so theater. I, I don't regularly go to Rotten Tomatoes, so what's the format of their scoring? Okay, well, basically they take um, they take the the critics' reviews. It's not it's not the the uh, the actual audience reviews. It's just critics that have gone to see the movie and given a good rating or a bad rating. And the more good ratings that the movie gets, then the higher the score will be. The more bad ratings it gets, the lower the score will be. And if it's below, I think, 55%, it's considered to be rotten. And if okay, it, so if it's, it's out of, it's that, out of a hundred percent then. Yeah, out of a hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So the first movie is from 1995 and it is Kiss of Death starring Samuel L. Jackson, David Caruso <laughs> and Helen Hunt. So Kennedy was in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> Kennedy, what do you think the, the Rotten Tomato score was for that? This is a tricky question because a lot of times a movie that does very, very well when it comes out years later cumulatively gets a much lower score and vice versa a movie that bombed early on might suddenly have a really high tomato rank and a but lot of this and one, a lot of times a, a movie that we as as viewers really liked will get yeah. a low uh, critic score this was not one of those films yeah <laughs> i would say this is sitting at about 18 percent okay rick what do you think have you seen have you seen this movie Ah, until you uttered those words in that particular order, I'd never heard them. Oh, okay. That, uh, <laughs> so, no. Uh, so, well, given who's in it, um, and given what Kennedy just said about it, uh, I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll say 17.5%. <laughs> Okay, you guys are gonna, you guys are gonna actually be really surprised, but it was 68%. Really? See, yeah. it's, it's, you, you can't judge, right? It's, uh, but you were probably some, that when that movie came out, it was post Tarantino. So everybody was going nuts for these really gritty, violent movies with over the top performances. And if you remember, Nicolas Cage spends the whole movie wiping his eye <laughs> yeah. because he got shot in the face and he can't stop crying. And isn't this no the, reason, just a, just a choice he made. Isn't that sense. the movie that they, they, didn't David Caruso quit NYPD blue yeah. to make this movie and launch his, he was, he his was going career. to be a big star. Yeah. <laughs> well, Kennedy gets the point because he was, uh, a half a, he was half a percent above <laughs> above Rick, and it was sixty eight percent. So, okay, I, I, I willfully concede that one. <laughs> right. And uh, and w- just to let you know, we've got six we got six movies. So that was the first one. The second.
second one is from 1999, Brendan Fraser, 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 whatever, and Alicia Silverstone in Blast from the Past. So, Rick, hmm. you go first this time. Ooh. Now, I have heard of that one. I didn't see it, but... Uh... A family goes into their bomb shelter during the Cuban Missile Crisis and doesn't uh-huh. emerge for nearly 40 years. That's a tough one because I thought that looked dreadful. Um, I mean, I love Brendan Fraser. I think the the man is fantastic, but he's been in a whole lot of crappy movies. <laughs> uh, uh, let's say 45%. Okay. Kennedy? Mm. I'm going to go higher again. I'm going to say 60% on this one. Okay. Well, the score is 58. Oh. So you got, you got closer on that one. So well, you here, get another here's one. the thing. Brendan Fraser, as you may know, is a Canadian actor. Um, his, his brother lives in the same city that I live in and comes to my office regularly to pitch me on story ideas about different issues in the community. Oh, really? And always makes a big deal of telling me that he doesn't want anybody to know that he's Brendan Fraser's brother. So I finally looked him up on Twitter, and sure enough, it says on his Twitter page, brother of actor Brendan Fraser. <laughs> and they, they look exactly alike. It's really bizarre having this guy in my office. But that's a story for another day. That's funny because I live in, I live in Leeds, Alabama, which is the hometown of uh, Charles Barkley. And his brother still lives in town, in town, and he wants mm-hmm. everybody to know that he's Charles' <laughs> <Parker's> brother. <laughs> if you meet him, that's the first thing he'll tell you. So, okay, the next one is from 1998, and not all of these movies are from the 90s. I don't know why I've got them all grouped together like that. But uh, from 1998, the movie is Dark City, starring Kiefer Sutherland and William Hurt. Mm. And Kennedy, I'll let you go first on this one. I haven't seen this one in a long time. It's a very strange film. It's one of those ones critics loved, so I'm going to say it's got a fairly high score, up around 80. Okay. Rick? Yeah, this is one that's always been on my I really need to watch this list because anytime you know you get like one of those top 50, top 100 science fiction films, this one always shows up. Uh, but I've never seen it. And... Uh, yeah... Um, I'll say 88%. Okay. The score is actually 74%. So Kennedy gets another Kennedy point. Wiping the floor with me. <laughs> and I'm just guessing. Yeah. And this, I mean, th- this game is not as easy as you think. Cause like I said, there's a lot of films that I really like that the critics hate. And there's a lot of movies that I hate that critics really like. But uh, let's see how you guys do with this one. Uh, from this is this is from the 2000s. So uh, from 2012, Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann star in This Is Forty. This is what? Mm. This is Forty. Oh. It's a semi sequel to Knocked Up. Yeah, kind of a spinoff of Knocked Up. Yeah. yeah. Judd Apatow. Apatow, 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 Apatow. Uh. I'm just throwing a mental dart at a non-existent dartboard. Uh, given that I've never even heard of it, I'm going to say 15%. Okay. Kennedy? A little higher. I'd say it's probably got about a 30. It's actually 51. Oh! Okay. <laughs> yeah. It had the fact that, that Knocked Up was pretty successful um, helped it. It wasn't a great movie. It had its moments. It's, 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 Judd Apatow movies, um, 
I find a lot of, I mean, I like most of them, but they're too long <laughs> for a comedy. You know, a comedy needs mm-hmm. to be around 90 minutes and his tend to go over two hours and that's just a little long for a comedy. But, but yeah. Was that, Super Bad an Apatow movie? I don't think so. No. He's involved, but I don't think he directed it. Yeah, that okay. was, that was, I mean, it did have Seth Rogen and Apatow do a lot of stuff together, but that was, uh, I don't remember who directed it. I know Seth Rogen wrote it or partly wrote it anyway. But okay, this one's from 1994, and forgive me if I pronounce it incorrectly, but uh, Leon or Leon the Professional, the Professional, yeah, mm-hmm. starring Jean Reno and uh, Gary Oldman and Natalie Portman. Very, very young Natalie Portman. Oh yeah, she's nine years old in this. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. So Kennedy, you want to start? Uh, that's a high one. I bet you that's 85. This movie was not just a big hit. It was a tremendously successful international film. Uh, I think it was a U.S., Canadian, France co-production. And it, it has it still has traction now. You could watch this movie today and you'd enjoy it. Okay, Rick? Uh, I'm just going to keep my streak going. I'm going to say since everybody likes this movie, uh, 32%. 71 (laughs) percent okay we're gonna do one more (laughs) and i've actually got two more written here but i'm trying to pick which one i actually want to do um i'm gonna go with from the year 2000 um drowning mona starring danny devito bett midler nev campbell and casey affleck do either one of you That's guys? A hell of a cast. Yeah, have you? Yeah, if you haven't heard of it, is rage, jealousy, murder, and Eastern European automotive engineering combined in this offbeat black comedy? When one of the most hated women in town is murdered, and the sheriff has to find out who did it in a town full of suspects. Uh, uh. <laughs> you realize we are science fiction podcasters, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fifty uh, percent. Okay. Ten percent. It was twenty nine. So Rick gets a point. Hey, <laughs> Kennedy takes the game. <laughs> All right. That was uh, that was one that I haven't tried on the show before. Wanted to give it a shot. That was, that was fun. But um, as far as the news, before we get into our main topic, and the news is going to be Star Trek heavy since we're all big Star Trek fans. But uh, I've got a couple of things that happened over the last couple of weeks. One happened today. They announced mm-hmm. that they're moving the, the new show, Star Trek Discovery, back to May, which, I mean, it's a big deal in the fact that I was really excited for it to be coming in just a couple of months, and now I'm going to have to wait another you know, four or five months. But uh, as, long as, uh, as long as they're moving it back so that they can get it right, Instead of uh, rushing something, because I'd hate to, you know, Rick, uh, when you were on um, the Prime Direction, we kind of mentioned the fact that if the next generation had started today with as bad as that first season was, it probably wouldn't have made it. It definitely yeah, wouldn't have made not. it. So, and, and the fact that you know, Deep Space Nine kind of had a weak first season as well, you know. So, if if this new show has a weak first season then we probably won't get a second season. So I'd rather them wait a couple months and make sure that the first season is going to be really good instead of rushing something out and then we lose it after season one. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, they're already off to a rocky start with that CGI from that trailer a couple of months back. They have no cast in place. If they were to try to rush now and have this ready for the, the launch in, in January, 
it's exactly what would happen. It would be a low quality show and we'd all be embarrassed by it. We'd be embarrassed for being fans who are telling people, Hey, don't worry. This is going to be great. Yeah. So I can wait. We've been waiting for so many years. We can wait a few more months. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's my, my take on it. We've been waiting. It's been 15 years since there was Star Trek on TV. Uh, you know, a few extra months isn't going to kill anybody. Um, and if anyone wants to complain about it, just think about the fact that one of the main reasons that Star Trek, the motion picture, was the train wreck that it was was because uh, Paramount would not budge on the release date. Uh, and so uh, Robert Wise was literally carrying a still wet from the printer copy of the film in his briefcase to the premiere. <laughs> uh, and he never had time to give it the proper, a proper edit. They never had time to, to look at the special mm-hmm. effects shots and trim them. And, and uh, so... Th- more time if it equals a better show i'm all for it yeah i do have to disagree with your characterization of that film as a train wreck however <laughs> because train wrecks are loud and fast <laughs> this is I true the, <laughs> the other the other uh, discovery related news that i had is that we did get a little bit of information about what the show may be about because Brian Fuller, one of the showrunners, I guess he's the main showrunner for the show, mm-hmm. um, he tweeted this week, uh, quote, a favorite TOS episode, Balance of Terror, is a touchstone for the hashtag Star Trek Discovery story arc, end of quote. So it could be that a conflict with the Romulans is the focal point of this of this new series. And it's possible. It's also when I read that, I thought he could be talking about the tone of that episode because that episode is like nothing else in Star Trek except until you get to the Wrath of Khan, which Nicholas Meyer was also involved in. Yeah. So it could be that we're looking at a storyline set over just several hours as opposed to an entire season's worth. Ah, 24 cat and mouse game, two sides. It's possible, right? It might not be Romulans at all. To be honest, I wouldn't mind if it were because they haven't been treated very well. It'd be nice to see them come back the way they were supposed supposed to be originally, which was actually scary adversaries. Yeah, because we we haven't seen the Romulans. Much. I've been doing Nero a, and Nero yeah. and the people on, on TNG. I've been watching. I've been doing a rewatch of Deep Space Nine, and um, I'm at season five, and I'm starting to get into when I was watching Deep Space Nine originally. I kind of stopped watching after season five because I had gotten into my twenties and I had other things going on. I had a, a, a job at night and, and stuff like that. And so after season five, I really didn't watch the show much, but what I'm, so I'm getting into some episodes of Star Trek that I've actually never seen before. It's like I'm watching a new show. So it's kind of cool, but Dude, I envy you that. Yeah. So much. <laughs> but I've been noticing, you know, the Romulans didn't show up on deep space nine very much at all. And, uh, I don't, re- I mean, I know they weren't on, um, they weren't heavy on Voyager because they were in the Delta Quadrant, you know, so. Well, they still worked them into a couple of storylines. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Voyager. I mean, they've been on Deep Space Nine a couple of times. They just haven't been there as often as you would think they were because the, I mean, Deep Space Nine is so heavy with Klingons. <laughs> I mean, there's, there, <laughs> there's Klingons everywhere, but, uh, but then, but the Romulans just seem to be missing. I don't, I don't know. So it would be, it would be interesting if they did kind of focus on the Romulans a little bit and give them a little more, uh, a little more to do in the Star Trek universe. It would require some canonical gymnastics to pull it off. Uh, but I, I would be all for that. I, I tend to, agree with Kennedy that I think Fuller chose the word touchstone very carefully. Uh, I, I don't 
think he's necessarily telling us that this is going to be a Romulan conflict so much as it's going to be, uh, you know, ship versus ship kind of, you know, run silent, run deep sort of thing. My only problem with it being Romulans is this is only 10 years before, uh, uh, you know, our Enterprise. 10 years before, I I guess 10 years before Pike takes over the Enterprise. Um, And so only maybe 15 years before uh, Balance of Terror, if I'm getting my my timeline straight. The the time between Pike and Kirk is a little wonky. <laughs> a little depends on, on who you're talking to. But, uh, you know, in that episode, they very clearly state that no human has seen a Romulan and that the Romulan, the Earth-Romulan War was 100 years prior. And fought from a distance with no yeah. face-to-face combat. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. So... It would be very, tri- you know, but then again, Enterprise brought the Ferengi in and the Borg in and managed to do it in a plausible way that would say, okay, we still don't know what they are until next generation. Um, so it, I'm I'm very interested in, in everything I've heard from uh, Bryant Fuller about Discovery. I think, uh, you know, the, the, the look of it, the fact that they're referencing things like Balance of Terror, you know, that they're actually call, you know, calling out an original series episode by name, uh, that gives me a lot of hope for this show. Yeah. Just going to have to wait a little bit longer. But good news, if you're a Good Wife fan, you're going to get a new, the, the spinoff a lot earlier because they're going to they're gonna drop it in February. So, but, uh, goody, goody, goody. Yeah. Another thing that we did get, of course, you know, this past week was the 50th anniversary of the um, – original series and one thing that i saw online fans were complaining that paramount and cbs didn't do enough for the 50th anniversary which i understand what they were saying they they were saying that in this article that i read they were saying that um they should have done some kind of a a two-hour look back primetime special which they did have that smithsonian special that came on um or they should do some kind of a marathon of episodes or marathon of movies that I don't think they could do on CBS just because I think they've probably got agreements with Netflix and Hulu that they're not going to compete with them for a certain amount of time since they're, they're showing all the series and all the movies on those streaming sites and things. But, you know, we did get a new movie this summer and we are getting a new series uh, in a few months. So to say that they dropped the ball and they didn't do enough for the 50th anniversary, I didn't really agree with. I, I can sort of see the point because uh, neither Paramount, Paramount nor CBS did anything specifically on the day. Right. right. Uh, and I've heard people compare it to the Doctor Who 50th anniversary where there were you know several mini things working its way up to a big show uh, for the 50th. But what a lot of people aren't, key, uh, aren't taking into account is that Doctor Who had a series in production already. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the infrastructure was there. All they had to do was, well, we're going to have an episode on this night anyway. Let's make it a 50th anniversary one and get Tom Baker to show up and sweep the floor. Uh, <laughs> and that was much the case at the 25th anniversary. If you recall, there was a pretty great TV special hosted by Shatner and Nimoy. I used mm-hmm. to have, I used to have it on video, years. yeah. Yeah, I think we all did. It was like the coolest <laughs> thing to watch. But you're right. At the time, TNG was in, still in production. Um Deep Space Nine wasn't quite there yet, but I think we knew it was coming. 
and the movies were still being made. And the rights belonged to one company, not two. So everything was in place for them to just knock that show out nice and quick. These days, I mean, I was really expecting to see something from those Roddenberry vaults. Yeah. Some kind of big special, and that didn't happen. I think it's still going to come, but it should have been time to happen right then and there. I think they they might be saving that stuff for a, blu- a Blu-ray release. Like, I know that they're, they're, they're coming out with this, um, uh, Blu-ray documentary about Deep Space Nine. Well, they're, they're not coming out with it. It's, they haven't even made it yet, but it's going to happen. And I think that they may, maybe they'll do something with, uh, TOS and next gen and release, uh, some Blu-rays and, and put it on that or something, like some kind of special well, box set. Th- that is happening. Um, yeah. I forget the name of it. They're, they're, they're releasing, and they, I don't think they've put a date on it yet or a price. Which, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, if I have to sell my kid for this, I'm going to get it because <laughs> it's it's going to be like either four or six uh, original series episodes, uh, re remastered, I guess, um, plus a lot of never before seen footage from the vaults, from you know, from Roddenberry stuff, uh, and it's going to be a big. Uh, you know, several di- multi-disc Blu-ray, uh, I presume DVD as well, uh, package. Um, but yeah, they haven't, I think they're probably aiming for around Christmas time. Yeah. And I just hope it doesn't cost, you know, a car payment. <laughs> <to get> <laughs> like that, uh, Lord of the Rings box set that we talked about a couple episodes oh, yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the other, the other thing that I wanted to mention about Star Trek before we, uh, move on is, we got a new episode of Star Trek Continues. Oh, yeah. And it was a pretty good episode. I don't know what the future holds for Star Trek Continues. I think that they're basically going to keep making it until someone tells them to stop. <laughs> that that seems to be their 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 attitude. Uh, you know, um, Kennedy, have you seen Continues at all? I saw, I think, the first two. And okay. better than most, still not really my cup of tea. Yeah, I, I dig that. I, uh... It, it this is the episode that finally set the hook for me um you know i'm real i have tried to watch most of the fan productions out there and usually i make it about 10 minutes and i just can't take it anymore uh continues was just good enough uh that uh, i kept going and uh i was supposed to interview vic uh mignona uh the year before we shut the starbase down and we had scheduling conflicts and the, the, <laughs> just the night I was supposed to talk to him, he completely forgot because he's, you know, not, not an unbusy person. Yeah. Uh, and then we just weren't able to, to hook up again. Um, but, uh, his, his enthusiasm for the project is infectious. Uh, and I felt so bad because the last one that came out, Come Not Between the Dragons, I really didn't like it. And is that I, the one with that the, the monster going yeah. around? Yeah. And they were so proud of that thing, and I thought it looked so – you know, I I give them incredible amounts of respect for realizing that they could easily do stuff that would outstrip the original series because of, you know, computer technology and stuff nowadays. Yeah. And they have purposely tried to maintain the visual aesthetic of the original show, and they've done a phenomenal job with it. But that thing looked like something out of – lost in space to me <laughs> and yeah. i just couldn't get past that um and i thought the the, the woman from uh, uh uh farscape i i everybody was raving about her performance and i thought she was just terrible but you know i came back for more and i think this new one 
uh, Embracing the Winds is it's fantastic. And they got Erin Gray to come in as uh, Admiral Gray. And seeing her on screen again was wonderful. And uh, I just, I really enjoyed the show. I think they did a fabulous job with it. And their plan is to, they've got, I think they have another seven episodes they want to do. They are absolutely, you know, they've got the the self-destruct sequences all but the final command entered in if if CBS says don't. You know, yeah. they say if they're told to shut it down, they will in a heartbeat. Um, but I think, and I have nothing to base this on other than intuition. I think that, uh, you know, the the rules that that CBS and Paramount put out a few months back were solely aimed at shutting down Axanar, and as long as con- Star Trek continues is doing everything they've been doing all along, which is not making a single penny off of this show, not making any attempts to capitalize on merchandise or set up a studio or try to make it sound like they are doing better or, or you know, they, they are doing everything right. They're, they're a registered 501c nonprofit. Uh, their books are, are freely available to see for anyone. Uh, they, are, they are playing by all the rules except for the the lengths of their shows and continuing the story. Yeah. And I think that as long as they continue to do that, Paramount and CBS will continue to pretend they're not there. Yeah, and as long as nobody else comes along and, and does what XNR did or something similar to XNR to where Paramount has to say, okay, everybody out of the pool. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you know? yeah. So. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think there has, you know, XNR has a small but rabid following of people uh but I think the the rest of the fan film community realize that they they really you know screwed the pooch on this one. I don't think anyone's going to try to do that again. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move into our main topic. So, as I stated earlier in the show, our topic tonight is going to be coming of age movies, and these are movies about a person that goes through a series of event of events that takes them from being a child into being an adult. It can be boys or girls. It can be a rite of passage or a traumatic event or, or something. It's just a a passage into adulthood. And there are tons and tons of movies out there that fall into this category. And, uh, Kennedy, you haven't been on cosmic potato before, but I know you've listened. So the, the way that we do it is that, We'll take turns and name off one of our lists, talk about it for a couple of minutes, mm-hmm. and then just go around the, the virtual circle. So, and after we've done five or so, uh, we'll take a minute to do some honorable mentions. So, um, I'll let you start. Sure. This was a really hard one for me to, uh, to come up with, uh, because my first instinct was to go to the movies that were coming of age when I was coming of age, and that was the late 70s and early 80s. And I just had this conversation with my 13-year-old son that the movies that I loved back then, I probably couldn't let him see now <laughs> because the attitude towards sexuality and particularly the sexual pursuit of women in these films is so foreign to kids today. So you see something like Animal House where he's dropping off a 13-year-old kid in a shopping cart. That You can't play that for laughs now. So Animal House was out. But I did have to go with a classic from my childhood, and that is the movie Meatballs. Uh, 1978 to Bill Murray. And again, Bill Murray in this movie is a complete pig. 
He's chasing every <laughs> woman he sees. It's not great behavior. But it's not his story. It's the story of this kid, Rudy, who is played by an actor named Chris Makepeace, who um, pops up again in a lot of my favorite movie lists. He's a Canadian kid who dropped off the radar years ago. He also starred in a great film called My Bodyguard. Um, Meatballs was filmed at the summer camp I spent my summers at as a kid. So when it came out and I was done with summer camp, I, I knew all the, the venues, all the sites. That was pretty exciting. But in the end, it's just a goofy, silly series of vignettes. But Rudy's story underneath is what carries it forward as he learns to fit in with the other kids and become a leader and eventually become a success story at the summer camp. Still cracks me up. Great flick. I need to rewatch that movie. I remember loving it when it came out. Uh, I remember being surprised that I loved it because that, mm-hmm. you know, that was right when more movies featuring SNL alums were crap than were good. Yeah. And uh, this wasn't really one of those, though. This was a Canadian movie that Bill Murray just happened to be in. Yeah. Uh, very different, uh, very different approach than the other SNL movies. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, the only thing I really remember about the movie is the it just doesn't matter chant. <laughs> All kinds um, of good stuff. <laughs> but yeah, it was. I remember really, really loving the film. I need to, I need to rewatch that. And, think, and the sequel was abysmal. <laughs> yeah, the sequels <laughs> aren't uh, aren't to be mentioned. <laughs> I think that we need to do an episode some someday of uh, movies that fell off my radar because I, I've never I've never seen Meatballs, and the reason is because uh, I, I I was young in the eighties, and of course my mom wasn't going to allow me to watch to rent that from the video store. And by the time I Hey, my, my communicator is going off, and I forgot what I did with it. Um, by the time I got old enough to watch it, it was not current anymore. So I, I've never actually seen it. So I need to, I need to check that out. But Rick, go ahead with your first pick. Okay, I had some. As I, I told you when you told me what the topic was, uh, I, I, I may have to to uh, bend the genre a little bit because this was never really my bag uh, as far as you know this genre yeah um and i i did some some googling to just find out what was even considered a coming of age movie and i've, I've got a list of films that i wa- that i've seen but a lot of them i haven't seen for you know 25 years so mm-hmm. i don't remember them too well but uh i i have narrowed it down to five and I would like to start with Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Good call. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the whole damn series is just the, I mean, it's all, it's the, the, the what, what is the Campbell's, the, the, the Eternal, not the Eternal Champion, that's Moorcock. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's the, the hero's journey, but they yeah. all start with our young hero who is, Nobody is nothing is in squalor or servitude or obscurity, uh, going on adventures and finding themselves and becoming wise and powerful and, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, you can say what you want about the prequels and boy, have I ever, (laughs) (laughs) um, at least that part of it has remained true through the entire thing. Now, did we need to see Anakin Skywalker go from 11 years old to the fire pit on Mustafa? Is that the name of the planet? Mustafar, whatever. <laughs> um, Mustafa. Probably Mufasa, not. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, but that was the journey. That was the, you know, even though it got creepy as hell in the middle with that, with Amidala, but, uh, you know, it was the coming of age of Anakin Skywalker. Now his coming of age didn't go so well. Um, <laughs> But 
uh, and I'm sorry if I'm spoiling any of this, folks, but I, I can't imagine anyone listening to this show hasn't seen Star Wars. No. <laughs> um, and then we have Luke's progression, and to some extent, not as much as it should be, uh, but Leia as well. Uh, granted, she doesn't start off as uh, as uh, lowly as Luke does, but we still, I think, we still see a progression of Le- from uh, from Leia's point of view. Uh, you know, from headstrong, idealistic, uh, damn the torpedoes, we've got to, you know, we've got to uh, fix this problem. To maybe there are some nuance in life, <laughs> and you know, maybe these little fuzzy guys can help. So I, I definitely think Star Wars. Star Wars was the first thing that came to my mind, and I, I, I stand by that. Yeah. Oh, and that's <laughs> definitely a coming of age story. I mean, you can't argue with that. Well, my first pick is, um, and I, I mean, I, I tried to decide which one I wanted to start with, but I'm going to start with The Outsiders from uh, 1983. I read this book in the seventh grade, and I actually go back and read the book every few years, mainly because my kids had to read it, so I <laughs> so I read it to help them study. And uh, the movie is just one of those classics that I love to watch. It's got... Matt Dillon, Patrick Swayze, Tom Cruise, Rob Lowe, Ralph Macchio, Diane Lane, Leif Garrett, C. Thomas Howell. It's pretty much a who's who of 80s actors. You know, of course, it's the story of a boy born on the poor side of town. He lives with his brothers after their parents died in a car accident. And it's it's a good movie showing the, the struggle of the main character, Pony Boy. Uh, because he lives in an area where there's a lot of violence between the two classes of kids in this town, the, the greasers and the socias. But at the same time, he's a 14 year old and he has dreams of being a writer. So he has to, he has to stay out of trouble. He has to stay out of jail, stay alive, that kind of stuff, you know. But, um, the plot of the movie is pretty simple since the book was written by S.E. Hinton when she was 16 years old. And I really like the, um, a few years ago, you know, like I said, my kids read it in school and it gave me an excuse to watch the movie all over again. But they actually made it into a TV series in the 90s, the early 90s, uh, that had David Arquette and Billy Bob Thornton in it. It wasn't a bad show, but it only lasted one season. You can, you can see some of them on YouTube. They changed some things about the movie to, to make it into a show. In other words, there's some characters that died in the movie that are still alive in the show. <laughs> Things like that. But, but yeah, Outsiders is, is, is one of my, uh, favorite coming of age stories. The book and the movie. But, Kennedy, go ahead with your next one. That's, you know, some of the, all the actors you just mentioned in that film pop up in most of my, uh, my picks as well, too, just because that was the era. And, and right. that was the movie where you first saw a lot of these faces, including Tom Cruise and his original teeth, which if you can find the stills on the internet is really worth checking out. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> next on my list would be, uh, a movie starring one of the actors from Outsiders, Ralph Macchio. That's Crossroads from 1986. Um, and again, Rick, I'm not into these sorts of movies the way you're not into them. So a lot of their stuff that I like falls under a different genre, but still carries that same thread of story through it. And if you haven't seen Crossroads, which it's one of my all-time favorite movies, largely because I'm a huge fan of, of early blues and the mythology that surrounds that kind of music. And it's it's a level of mythology that you only others – you see it in horror and you see it in science fiction. You see it in comic books, but you don't see it in other music. It's only in the blues. 
so this is the story of a young kid. He's a classical guitar prodigy who also loves the blues. And he sets off on a road trip with an old blues man to find the legendary and completely made up missing lost song of Robert Johnson. And Robert Johnson, for anyone who doesn't know, is the epitome of mythologized American bluesmen. Uh, he meets Jamie Gertz along the way, which keeps adding to the 80s quality of this flick. There's all kinds of great music. There's a guitar duel where Ry Cooter plays his parts with some trickery. And Steve Vai comes out on stage playing for the devil. Flaming Whoa. 80s heavy metal. It's just the greatest <laughs> guitar showdown. You can find the whole thing on YouTube. The the, the clip, it's 10 minutes long. Uh, definitely worth watching for music lovers, fans of 80s movies, because Ralph Macchio, was the, he was so 80s. This is oh, post-Karate yeah. Kid, and he still looks like he's about 12 years old. <laughs> he's great. Definitely worth checking out if you haven't seen it. Uh, the music might even swat, get you over to the, the blues side of things a little bit, because there's some great tunes. And it's also just really funny. Joe Seneca plays the old blues man. He had to have been 90 at the time. Looks 120. Steals the <laughs> flick. One of my faves. Yeah, I like it's when one you... of those movies that was like always on HBO or Showtime. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen here. the whole thing, but I've seen bits and pieces. Worth watching. Worth watching for sure. Yeah, like you sent me a message and told me you were going to mention that movie, and you and you felt like you had to uh, make sure that I knew that you weren't talking about the Britney Spears movie. Well, that's also a coming of age. <laughs> yeah, movie. it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rick, go ahead with your next pick. All right, uh, this one, <clears throat> excuse me, doesn't need any qualification. Quali- does need me to be able to speak. It doesn't need any qualifications uh, or or excuses or apologies. It is one of the greatest movies of the 80s and falls well into this category, and that is Real Genius, starring Val Kilmer back before he lost his sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> and it's the story of young Mitch, who is 14 or 15 and is a genius and gets accepted into uh, this fictionalized version of what is basically MIT. Uh, and he goes there, and his roommate is the legendary Chris Knight, um, who is supposed to be the smartest kid on Earth, uh, and is played by Val Kilmer with uh, an amazing level of sincerity and sarcasm. Uh, and it's hard to describe the film. I, you know, even though I know every frame of this movie, <clears throat> excuse me, I I watch it regularly. I've loved this movie ever since the first time All I right, saw Mitch, it. I built you a bed. Good night. Yeah, <laughs> Jordan's awesome. <laughs> a lot of the people in this movie never did anything else after this, but they they kind of didn't need to. Um, well, the professor became the bad guy in the Die Hard movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he's, he's he, yeah. he was right up there with William Atherton as the as always playing the 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 a hole in the movies. Um. There, there's a great you know, the the girl who can you can you hammer a six inch spike through a board with your penis? Um, <laughs> the, this this movie is just eminently quotable, and it's just it's a it has a sort of a serious uh, topic to it in that uh, you know it addresses science and people doing uh, inventing without thinking about the consequences of what they're doing. Um, but it's also very lighthearted, very, it, I mean, it's very eighties, uh, and very much a product of its time. 
But all you know, there is there is character development in almost everybody in the film, which is you know one of those things that's kind of unusual for a film that's just kind of you know <laughs> it's a popcorn film, and if you know the movie, that's <laughs> uh, a joke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it's got a very it's got a very strong. Uh, I don't want to say serious, but solid core to it that that carries a message, and so wrapped, you know, in amongst all of these hijinks and silliness and and stuff, uh, is is some very pointed uh, commentary, and I, I I love the film, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's on the list the, of the. Go ahead. The, the um, sorry, the, the where are they now file? The actress that played Jordan. Um, pops up on my sister-in-law's Facebook page all the time out west. They're, they're in the same yoga class or something. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. It's there once in a while. It's on the list of uh, films for Christina and Hai-Chan to watch. We're, we, you know, Christina and Hai-Chan are our uh, resident millennials on the show, and they, uh, they've been assigned to watch some 80s movies, and that's the first one on the list. They're supposed to watch that in Raising Arizona. <laughs> right on. And well, that's what I was talking about at the top of the show is a lot of these movies don't age well. I mean, Revenge of the Nerds was on my initial list. But again, there's stuff in that movie that I would not want somebody under the age of 21 seeing right now. Yeah, true. That's true. And, 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 it, and it's because it's played for laughs. It's meant to be heroic behavior. Uh, that just did not make it out of the 20th century. Yeah, Revenge of the Nerds basically has a rape in it. And yeah. <laughs> we're laughing it's at it. It's not basic. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the good guy rapes a girl. Yeah. Well, my next pick is, uh, sticking with Ralph Macchio. We'll, uh, I talk about the Karate Kid. And growing up in the 80s, I absolutely loved the Karate Kid. This was one of those movies that they would put on school on, uh, on at school on a rainy day when the teacher just didn't want to teach. And, you know, I probably, <laughs> I probably saw it 10 times as a kid, but, um, probably more than that. But of course we know the story. Ralph Macchio plays a, uh, a guy that moves to a new town with his mom, makes friends with an old man from Okinawa, uh, who starts to teach him karate. Um, he uses the karate, of course, to defend himself from bullies and he registers in a big tournament and ends up beating out all the bullies that, uh, tormented him even, uh, through an injury. And looking at this movie now, I can see why I was so attracted to it because I, I was bullied in school. So any story where the bullies lose was right up my alley. And, um, of course, this this movie made every boy in my school want to take karate classes. <laughs> so the the karate class at my school filled up, and I soon realized that I was not very good at karate. <laughs> so so I dropped out, and uh, they made a kind of sort of remake a few years ago with Jaden Smith and Jackie Chan. And I'm not going to knock it because it's not a terrible movie, but it can't really be called a remake of this movie, mainly because the kid's a lot younger, and he moves to Japan. No, he moves to China. I'm sorry. He moves to, does he move to, China? yeah, he moves to China. And yeah, it's called the Karate Kid. But it's yeah, it's, Kung Fu yeah, he learned, yeah. he learns, he learns Kung Fu. So everywhere except for the United States, it was called the Kung Fu Kid and they called it the, <laughs> the Karate Kid here to cash in on nostalgia. But, um, he moves to another country instead of moving to a new state and learns Kung Fu from Jackie Chan, which they had to, they had to dial down the uh, the violence a little bit in the remake because in the original, Mr. Miyagi straight up beats up those bullies. But in the remake, 
Jackie Chan is a lot older than those bullies. They were like 11 and 12 years old. They couldn't show a grown man beating up 12-year-old kids. So <laughs> when he gets into that fight scene, you'll notice Jackie Chan never actually hits any of those kids. He just kind of knocks them down and and makes them fall on themselves and makes them hit each other and that kind of stuff. We, you know, Like I said, it's not a bad movie. It's just not a, not the remake that they claim that it is, but... Yeah, the Karate Kid's one of my one of my favorites. And of course they made a couple of sequels. The second one was okay. It wasn't as good as the original, which we can say that about just about every sequel that comes out. The third one is and also ran, and then the the fourth one is not to be mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> but Well what do you think of the current meme that's going around about the Karate Kid that uh that uh, Daniel actually cheated and did not win the tournament? I don't think I've seen that meme, but I've heard I've, I've, seen that I've heard that before. Well, the thing is, that he you know the final thing he did was kick the dude in the face, and then he wasn't supposed to kick anybody in the and face. Not supposed yeah. to kick anybody in the face. Right. That's an illegal move. He should have been disqualified. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Goddamn macho. <laughs> <laughs> so, Although I don't think it changes the, the the film because even if he lost the tournament, he still beat the guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and then but, yeah, I love that. I I saw you know, and you know the funny thing is, uh, maybe it's just because my friends and I, you know, we were from the the happy days generation. We all saw the movie for Al, yeah, <laughs> for Pat Morita, uh, seeing him actually play uh, a a Japanese character, you know, and and actually you know doing the accent and stuff, and I, I loved him. You know what kind of you know what kind of belt do you wear? Uh, JC Penny. Yeah. <laughs> and then ones. and then on the other on the other side of that coin, when I watch Happy Days, I see Al and I think Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> you yeah. know. So. <laughs> but how many of us were doing you know wax on wax off? Oh and, yeah. And paint. I'm fence. still doing it. Come on. <laughs> oh, any any time that I'm painting anything, you know, I start doing my arm up and down like that. Of course, it, you know, <laughs> it's just a go-to move. <laughs> And we used to, we used to all try, we all used to all do the crane. When I was a kid, we would do the crane yeah. just for no reason. And we all thought that we were doing it perfectly. <laughs> you know, and of course my leg was probably only going a foot up in the air and it wasn't n- nearly high enough to kick somebody in the face. But <laughs> okay. Kennedy, what's your, uh, your next pick? Well, I'm going to jump, uh, way into left field here. Continuing with our outsiders graduates, we've got Patrick Swayze in Dirty Dancing. Um, which I have a very strange relationship with. Uh, this movie came out when I was, I guess, in late high school, maybe just starting college. And I had an obsessive girlfriend who would like something and then really like it. And, you know, <laughs> she thought Michael Jackson's Bad was the greatest album of all time. So for a year and a half, that's all we listened to. So when this movie came out, this is the early days of home video. So she actually bought the tape, which back then cost you 70 or 80 bucks. Yeah. And we watched this movie every night. I'm, and I bet you all of 88 into 89, we watched this movie. So I know it inside out. Haven't watched it since. It came on TV a few weeks ago. Just we were, it was a rainy day. We were poking around, flicking channels, and we never actually watched TV together anymore as a family. And this came on. And we thought, well, let's just watch it. And we were all completely hooked. It, it holds up pretty nicely. The music doesn't make any sense for the time period, but that's okay. <laughs> the haircuts don't make any sense for the time period. But there's just something fun about this story, about this girl who just wants to bust out and do something different as the world is changing. And there's a scene at the very end where the old man from the, the club is on the stage and Patrick Swayze's shaking his butt and everyone's dancing and laughing. And he starts to sort of monologue about 
how the world is changing. And you realize this is the late 60s, so that's exactly what's happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a standalone film, I know there was a sort of sequel. I know there's been plans for other things over the years. As a standalone film about one girl's growing up, it fits perfectly with what we're talking about. And it's a little more fun than you might remember being an older guy just to sit down and watch this again. It's, It's pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I've heard rumors of a remake. I mean, they remake yeah, everything it's from the eighties. It's a TV 80s. movie coming out next year. It's not going to be the same at all. Yeah, they get, like, like they did with Footloose. You know, they took Footloose and kind of turned it into mm-hmm. one of these uh, teenage Disney Channel type uh, dance movies or whatever, like High School Musical or something like that. But yeah, but you know, it, one thing about this is it really helps you remember how much of a force of nature Patrick Swayze really was. Oh yeah, <laughs> between this and. Um, Roadhouse. He did a lot of crappy movies too, but he just takes over the screen when he walks onto a set. Yeah, he's just fantastic actor. He was great in Red Dawn. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I'll the agree original 100%. Red Dawn. Yeah, he but was. There's, there's a scene in this movie where the, her father thinks he's done something terrible, and he goes to apologize for, for just for the misconception, and the father just lights into him, and he just has this look on his face, and you, you see a strong guy who's been misunderstood so badly. He could get mad. He could do it, almost anything. But he doesn't. He just says, yep, yeah, all right, and walks away. Yeah. Strong acting. The, the movie gets – the acting is better than I think it gets credit for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was making a – I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but he was making a cop show when he got really sick, you know, right before he died. Mm-hmm. Uh I wish I could remember the name of it right now, but it was a really good show, and it it, it only lasted maybe ten episodes before he got too sick to continue with it. But he was kind of playing a crooked cop kind of thing. It was kind of kind of a training day type scenario or whatever. But yeah, it was good. But I have to look that up again. But okay, Rick, what's your next pick? I got to go back to 1981, and this may initially sound like a bit of a cop out, but but ride with me on this. Excalibur. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So now yeah. Excalibur is the story of King Arthur, uh, and so it it and it covers his entire life st- lifetime for the most part, from the time when he's like fourteen or something. Um, and I realize this is a tale as old as time, et cetera, et cetera. But I chose it one because I know this movie so well, and I love this movie. Uh, but. There have been several attempts over the last few years to redo these old uh, mytho- you know, mythological stories, and there seems to be this this uh, need to try to take these tales and just drain all the magic and mystery out of them, and try to make them "quote unquote" real. Uh, I don't know if either of y'all saw saw King Arthur, but it was a bi- it was terrible. I've tried and tried and tried because I love the legend. I love all that stuff. I cannot get more than halfway through that movie. Yeah, it was. It was. We we saw it at the at the cinema, so we watched the whole thing. But it it was just. I didn't even you know, know it was going to come out yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was this was several years ago. Oh, I thought you were talking about the new one coming yeah, out. Yeah. No, this um, is the Clive Clive Owen version. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, with the uh, it was either Natalie Portman or. Um, um, Kira Knightley. Yeah. Kira Knightley. I always get those two mixed up. You're supposed to. It's a, it's a secret <laughs> plot. I still think they're the same person. I've never seen them in the same room together. Um, but uh, Excalibur. Now, in 1981, I was a, a junior in high school, and I was just getting into things like Dungeons and Dragons, and and uh, I had just read The Hobbit for the first time. I hadn't even read Lord of the Rings yet. Uh, 
and this this the world of sword and sorcery was brand new to me. And when Excalibur came out, and if, if you know, y'all have, have Kennedy, I know you've seen Excalibur. Sean, have you oh, seen yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Okay, okay. Uh, you know, the armor is completely impractical, and the times, you know, the time periods of the stuff is totally mashed up. It's there is not an accurate frame in that film historically, <laughs> but it's beautiful. It is it is a fairy tale of King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table. Helen Mirren as Morgana is just. That was the first time I'd seen her, and she's just amazing as as the evil witch Morgana. Um, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting his name now. The guy that played Merlin, Nicola Williamson. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, he his voice. He's one of those voices that you just want to listen to him talk. <laughs> um, and it's the story of young Arthur pulling the sword from the stone and and becoming king of all England and uniting all the tribes and then being betrayed and and the, the fall of Lancelot uh, the fall of Camelot and it's just it's a sweeping majestic adventure fairy tale movie that the likes of which has not been done again that I've seen mm-hmm. uh, and I always thought that Peter Jackson was trying to get close to this with the Lord of the Rings movies but you can't replace real bad weather with fake bad weather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, Borman shot that whole movie in pouring rain for the entire shoot and just worked with it, which I think is what gives it a lot of why it seems so real, even though the armor is phony and nothing adds up, like you said. It just, it feels like real primitive conditions. Yeah, yeah. And and there was no attempt to not be magical. There was, there's, there is no... Uh, you know, a lot of times if you see a movie nowadays, like, you know, movies like Legend, well, maybe not Legend, but, uh, you know, if they do sort of a magical movie, there's almost like a, a, a <laughs> we're just kidding. <laughs> Excalibur just totally committed. They just was like, they were like, this is a universe where magic happens. This is a universe where a guy with a salad bowl on his head can command mighty forces and where, uh, you know, we're, we're going to put the the uh um mordred in this really really goofy looking gold armor and we're just going for it and i love the movie and i i think that it is the best arthurian legend film made in the last hundred well i guess movies have been around for more than 100 years, <laughs> 100 years <but>. yeah. <laughs> uh Excalibur. Well, you just uh, let me write that because you just made me want to go back and watch it again because I haven't I haven't seen (laughs) it in years, and you're describing it. It's just I need to watch that movie again. (laughs) I I have the DVD and I got it in in you know it was like in the in the Walmart five dollar we can't give this crap away bin. I was like, are you people insane? Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of these older, and what I love about some of these older um, seventies and eighties movies is that you can find them on. Well, some of them you can find on YouTube and watch them for nothing, but then, you know, some of them you can find on Google Play and, uh, like, um, Evil Dead. I, I actually bought Evil Dead on Google Play for like $3. So, <laughs> so now I own it and it's in my library now. It was cheaper to buy it than it was to rent it. <laughs> you know, so. Okay. Well, um, my next pick, I'm going to come a little more recent. Actually, a lot more recent. This movie is from 2015, and it's it's Paper Towns. And I've got to say that 
I'm a big John Green fan. I think he's I think he's very uh, intelligent, and he's been able to figure out a way to make a living doing things that I like to do, like writing and podcasting and making videos and things. You know, so he's got a podcast with his brother Hank. He makes a lot of educational videos for uh, PBS and Crash Course and uh, uh, Mental Floss and and stuff like that. And he writes books, and a lot of his books are geared toward young adults. But I read them anyway, and I think we ought to do a show about young adult books that we like, <laughs> or young adult movies that we like, because uh, I love young adult books. Uh, he's the guy that wrote The Fault in Our Stars, which is a very melodramatic movie um, that's geared towards uh, teenagers, but, you know, I kind of enjoyed it. Uh, but Paper Towns was the second movie based on one of his books. And it's a, it's a story about a young guy that falls in love with this girl that was his, his childhood friend. And she's a lot more of a free spirit than he is. And she just disappears one day and he convinces himself that she left clues for him to find her. So he and his friends go on this adventure to find her. And, uh, and it was, a, I mean, that's really all I have to say about it, but it was a, it was one of those movies that I, I took my daughter to see it because she's of the age group that it's geared toward. And I really enjoyed the movie. So, Paper Towns from uh, last year. Yeah, I don't know it at all, but I know that my daughter w- is obsessed with John Green. <laughs> uh, she, she's 15, so she has read the books. She's, she watches the movies. She talks about it a lot. But I, I've never taken the time to actually watch the film. I, I probably should. I listened to the book on uh, the audio book before I actually saw the film. And they they made some changes, as they usually do. Um to make it fit into a movie because a lot of people don't understand that you can't always take a book and make it word for word into a movie. Sometimes you have to move things around. You have to change it because books and movies are two different things, you know, but, uh, but I, I think that it's still held together and, you know, kept its shape and everything. I thought it was, I thought it was a pretty decent movie. So Kennedy, what's the next one on your list? Okay. Sticking with, uh, the eighties, uh, going back to, my favorite and yours, Miss Jamie Gertz, along with a cast of interesting characters in The Lost Boys. Uh, again, this is much like what Rick was saying. Sometimes a movie surprises you with what it actually is. And this is 100% a coming-of-age movie for, for two brothers and even maybe the Frog Brothers, if you look at it in a different way. <laughs> but also the Vampire Boys themselves because they have really built a family unit and are learning to live together as a family with their mysterious spoiler free father uh the whole story from beginning to end is is about growing up and it's funny and it's fast and we all love the guy with the saxophone it's just one of those movies that you can pop on anytime um i have it on vhs in fact and i still watch it quite regularly uh it's a hit from start to finish and even the some of the acting is so cringeworthy i mean (laughs) i hate to speak ill of the dead but Corey Haim, come on there must have been better kid actors out there but it still all works. And, you know, we, we forget that at the time this movie came out, uh, heavy metal had really veered into the, the big hair, makeup, tight jeans, spandex, poison type territory. And this movie came out with a soundtrack that was over the top great and a bunch of characters who looked like real rock and rollers again. So that was a huge appeal for, you know, young guys of my generation. And it holds up. The story is solid. The movie's fun. The music is great. And it's got a great twist ending. Yeah. I love it. Oh, yeah. One of the, and again, one of the sequels best galore. last Don't lines watch the of sequels. any film ever. Sorry? 
uh, I was uh, one of the best last lines of any film ever, and I, I will never spoil that line because <laughs> even thirty years later, that's yeah, the you're best. Right. Yeah, you are correct. <laughs> How many sequels did they make? I know they made one. I think they made yeah, two. there's three altogether. They're, yeah. They all star the other Corey, <laughs> which is uh, that's all you need to know to avoid them. Uh, I believe one of them also stars the guy who played his brother, the other frog who has done nothing since, and I guess they thought 30 years later, let's put him back in front of a camera. There was a plan to make a direct sequel right away called The Lost Girls, and some of the cast was even brought back for that. It was never made, although I know I read the script 15 years ago somewhere online. So that would be an interesting thing. It, it's being remade as a TV series for The CW, uh, yeah. coming back this fall, and it's going to be different. It's taking the concept, and they're going to tell different stories of different characters over different decades. So I think if they make it that different enough, I mean, it's a vampire story. You can do a vampire story any way you want if you call it the Lost Boys or not. Um, I'll give it a shot, but not the original. For for its time, it's a remarkably fun film. Yeah. Amen. Love yeah. that movie. <laughs> you know, it's funny. That was one of the movies, uh, you know, in my young adult years, um, I guess – Right around the time when when home video finally stopped being incredibly expensive, and you know renting movies became something you could do all the time, uh, I, I pe- people knew that I loved vampire stories. You know, I was a big Anne Rice fan, and and I'd read I've read Dracula several times and stuff. And frequently that movie would come up in conversation. You know, someone mentioned Lost Boys, and I'd be like, I never saw it, and they'd be like, You haven't seen the Lost Boys? <laughs> the hell's wrong with you? Yeah. And, you know, so by the time I finally saw it for the first time, I was in that, wow, the hype for this movie means it'll never live up to what, I, what I'm what i expecting it to be. But it did. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. yeah. It also helped me finally make the decision to uh, just buy the TV guide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's the uh, next one on your list there, Rick? All right. I'm going to bring us into – I'm going to – Come into the 21st century, going to 2008. Uh, as I was looking through the lists of coming-of-age movies, I saw this, and my initial response was, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but then I thought about it. I was like, yeah, it really is. Uh, and it's 2008's Let the Right One In. Oh, yeah. 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 Another vampire uh, movie, right? Yeah. It is, a, it is a vampire movie, but it's not your typical vampire movie at all. Uh it's a, it's a small in in that you know it takes place in a very small area it's a very small cast it's a very small story uh the the if you're not familiar with it the uh the story is excuse me uh, and i forget is, is it sweden norway um i think it's in sweden anyway it's it's a you know a scandinavian town and there's like this apartment complex and we see this, this young boy who's I, I guess like 12, 13, something like that. And he's, he's really by himself and he's bullied and, and stuff. And then a girl moves in with her, who seems to be her father. And he tries to strike up a friendship with her and they, they kind of drift back and forth between wanting to, to talk to her, you know, and, then they become friends and i you know i don't want to say too much more about that i mean other than it okay she she is a vampire she's a she you know she looks like she's 
11 or 12, but she's, you know, hundreds of years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a very sweet story that there are moments that just dive just headfirst into gory horror at just almost out of nowhere. And then it goes back to <laughs> they're, you know, they're playing on the monkey bars together. It's it, but the, the story is very, I don't want to say twisted because that makes it seem darker than it is. It, it, I mean, it's very dark. This, you know, this is a vampire story and there are some pretty, pretty gruesome demises in it. Uh, but it's also kind of a love story and a budding friendship story. And it, it's hard, it's hard to describe. And, it, oh, and one thing you absolutely have to do is watch, for, first of all, I, well, I haven't seen the American remake, but I haven't heard anything really good about it. That's the um, Let Me In with, um, Let Me In, Chloe, yeah. Chloe Grace Moretz, yeah. Oh, did she play the, the, okay. Yeah. Um, watch the original. Watch it in its in, maybe it's Danish. No, it's, um, uh, I think it's Swedish. Okay, watch it. Watch the it. Uh, watch the original with the subtitles. Uh, we when we we rented it and we started watching it with the with the English dub, and the voice acting and the English dub is absolutely terrible. <laughs> it's like it's like Saturday morning cartoon Godzilla movie terrible. Okay. Uh, so. Watch it with the subtitles. Listen to the original uh, uh, performances because they're they're fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, my next pick is um, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two, and <laughs> I, I really, really putting this on there is the entire series is a coming of age story, really. But um, as far as tying it in with uh, you know, uh, this is the most epic of those films. It's the, the end of Harry's life at Hogwarts and the story where all of the mysteries of the last few movies kind of come together. There's a lot of lessons to be learned from Harry Potter movies and the books as well. Um, a lot of young adult books try to identify the, 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 the lonely kid that has something different about them when, uh, and they have a tragic backstory. I, I think of a lot. A lot of that is because the shy, lonely kids are the ones that are more likely to be reading the books, <laughs> you know. But um, every kid has had uh, lonely times that they can identify with. And I read every single one of these books. I didn't. I didn't go to any of the bookstore events at, at midnight or anything like that. I was too old for that. But I didn't read the first one until after the first movie came out. And I watched it with my son and I liked it more than he did. <laughs> I picked up, <laughs> I picked up all of the books that had come out to that point at a local, uh, secondhand bookstore. And then all the ones that came out after that I bought early so that they were mailed to me on the, on the release date. But these movies get more intense as they go because they age with the kids that are, that, that, that are watching them. So this particular movie is made for older teens and young adults and it's it's really an incredible epic movie uh, different than the previous movies that came out before that because they all kind of had a formula and this one kind of broke that formula to, to end the series. The Battle of Hogwarts is one of the best battle sequences that I've ever seen so you know Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 is uh, 
is a pretty good coming of age story. And the entire Harry Potter series is a good coming of age story. So, oh yeah, I I was dragged kicking and screaming into the into reading the books. Okay. Uh, I I read, I think I was up to book three or four. Before I don't remember when the first movie came out. How many books were out? But uh, you know, I I had read, <clears throat> I'd been reading it before the movies. Uh, were even announced. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my girlfriend at the time liked it if we if we read to each other, uh, and uh, and so we were reading Harry Potter, and I really didn't want to, but I, I it was all right. We'll do this. Everyone's talking about it, and it wasn't until book three that I really got hooked uh, and started reading it voluntarily. Uh, it was pretty much the the when when Harry blew up his his aunt. And turned her into a yeah. human balloon. That that when he finally gave it back, when he finally stopped take just taking it and and finally fought back, that's when when the book the books hooked me. Um, but yeah, that was that's Rowling's genius is that she was writing the books for the age group that the characters were. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't wait to share Harry Potter with my little girl, but she's she's really too young for it now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I may not have to wait till she's eleven. I, I certainly hope not, but. You know, in theory, the ideal way to do it is when your kid's eleven, read Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Mm-hmm. When she's when they're twelve, the Chamber of Secrets, et cetera, et cetera. Um, although I would certainly hope by the time she's eleven, she's reading stuff on her own. And uh, yeah, I think by the time she have any patience. By the time she's <laughs> seventeen, she's probably not going to want Daddy <laughs> reading to her. Yeah. <laughs> but. Have either one of you read the script for the uh, play that's out in London now? The uh, mm-hmm. the Cursed Child. I have no exposure or knowledge of Harry Potter at all. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, none. I'm not, I think one of my older kids might have read the books many years ago before the movies. Uh, I think I went to see one of them, one, one of the movies in the theater. But but no, I have no uh, no knowledge. And I know so many people that do, and it, it's you know they get into these conversations, and I just hear going, oh, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> We have it. Uh, when my wife is done reading it, I will. I will read it. I liked it. It's just, the only problem that I had with it is that I don't think Rowling actually wrote it. She uh, she she wrote the story, but then had somebody else actually write the script. And it it's a new story, but you can tell that there's kind of these hits that they want to. You know, there's all these things that they want to hit. These marks that they want to hit to bring certain characters in at certain points of the story to, for the nostalgia of the, uh, of the original stories and, and things. And I, I mean, obviously it's going to make gangbusters, you know, because there's not any more, well, there is the, that the spinoff series coming out, but there's no more Harry Potter movies coming out, uh, or Harry Potter books other than this one. Of course, they've got the fantastic beast and where to find them coming out in a couple of months. I'm looking forward to that. So we'll see. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a little torn because, and this is this is going to one one of the great uh, uh, paradoxes of my life. Uh, theater is my life. Theater is my vocation. Theater is what I do. I hate reading scripts. <laughs> I hate reading plays. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, and it was a really quick read because a lot of the scenes were only a couple of pages, you know, and it, which I mean, you can you can blow through a script pretty quick. You know, especially if, depending on how detailed the um, the stage directions are. But uh, mm-hmm. I blew through that book in probably one day, I guess, maybe a day and a half. And 
And, and but like I said, it's entertaining. It's good. I I would really like to see it on the stage because there's a lot of stuff described in the play that I think would be awesome to see how they actually do it on the stage. But uh, I may not ever see it because when it does come to the states, it'll probably be in New York City. And I don't know that I'll ever go back. <laughs> I like my I like my trip to New York, but I don't know if I'll ever go back. <laughs> but uh, okay, well, uh, let's go around one more time. Kennedy, what's your 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 last pick? Uh, my last pick is a movie that came out in two thousand, and I loved immediately because it's somewhat autobiographical. Um, my career started off as a very I, I was a young idealistic music writer. I wanted to just interview bands and go on the road with bands and talk about music and write about music and that was my whole life it was planned out for me in my late teens early 20s so almost famous from 2000 uh, Cameron Crowe yeah, who, um, yeah he, he created the Fast Times at Ridgemont High which I didn't mention because I don't it's not so much a coming of age film but it really is a, a touchstone for my generation of, of young people uh, this was the story of how he got his start as a rock writer by going on the road with bands in the 70s so a, a bit before my time, I was more of an 80s person, but I could still relate like crazy, and I've always liked it for that reason, because it really does capture uh, the egos of these bands at that level, uh, what it's like to be a journalist trying to get the story. And if you recall, there's a sort of a major twist in the movie where the lead singer of the band screws the kid over pretty hardcore. Mm-hmm. And every journalist can relate to that, because that's happened. And it's dealt with exactly right. And like the other movies I've mentioned, the performances are spot on. Everybody is good in this. Uh, Kate Hudson was a rising star at the time, and she really steals the film. Strangely, has not done a whole lot since, which is unfortunate. But everybody, including the young kid, who is probably his first role, um, absolutely inspiring. Just a great film. Yeah. And if you know a lot about 70s music, you can sort of see who they're supposed to be, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it's one of the first times that I saw Jason Lee do something that Kevin Smith didn't write. <laughs> yeah, and he's fine. You know, he's he doesn't have much to do, but he yeah. pulls it off. Yeah, that was pre uh, My Name Is Earl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So yeah, I, I love that movie. Rick, what's your uh, your last pick? Uh, I'm going to go with Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but not for Ferris Bueller. Because Ferris doesn't change one whit through the film. There nope. is absolutely no character development there whatsoever. This is Cameron's film. Yeah. And this is his development. Now, I've heard uh, the the theory that actually the whole film is just uh, a, a, a hallucination uh, while Cameron is sitting and there contemplating how he destro- destroyed his car. I think we devoted a good chunk of a starbase to that topic once. I, many, I think many we years did, ago. yeah. <laughs> um, and I could, I could buy that. Um, but the only character in the film who who really changes is Cameron, uh, and it all leads up to him, uh, you know, fighting back against his abusive father. Uh, we don't see that happen, but we see the change that. Uh, in 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 his destroying the car, uh, is his you know surrogate fighting back against the the oppression he's lived under, uh, and you know we we can we are left to imagine that it's probably not going to go well for him, um, but the only way the film makes sense as anything other than just some sort of uh, you know meaningless fantasy is if the events of the film are in Cameron's imagination. 
And I, I'm not going to say that that's what the filmmakers had in mind, but it certainly puts the film into a, a slightly more serious light. Um, and I, I, I kind of enjoy thinking of it that way. Yeah, it gives it kind of a, it's, yeah, kind of a Fight Club twist to it or something like that. Put a twist in a movie before they were putting twists in every movie, <laughs> in every movie yeah. that came out. So, yeah. Well, maybe it's a sign of a good filmmaker that viewers can years later find a twist that might not have been intentional. Yeah. Because, you know, everything in that theory adds up, but not necessarily intentional. Yeah. Well, my last pick is going to be Boyhood from 2014 with uh, Patricia Arquette, Ethan Hawke, uh, Richard Linkletter, Likes to experiment. Oh, I know this one. Yeah, he, he likes to experiment with movies, and that's okay. You know, from a, a a cinephile's point of view, you know, I like it when filmmakers experiment and do something other than just cookie cutter movies. You know, if filmmakers didn't experiment, we'd always get the same thing over and over. So he took twelve years to make one movie, and he had the actors come back together a couple of times a year to film for just a couple of days. And what we got was a movie that shows the progression of the, of this one boy from the age of six all the way until he's 18. And it's not the best movie in the world, but it's definitely not the worst movie in the world. The writing doesn't feel like it really flows sometimes because the scenes jump a year at a time. And there's not really one, story arc through the whole movie it's a series of vignettes and it, it it's as a, like i said as a guy that loves film i'd say that i liked it i love the concept and the fact that the story could have gone anywhere depending on what happened in those 12 years you know what if one of the lead characters had died you know uh, or, you know, one of the actors had died during those 12 years we would have gotten a completely different movie and actually richard linkletter had a conversation with Ethan Hawke when they were just getting started and told him, look, if something happens to me and I die before we finish making this movie, you're going to have to finish. <laughs> you're going to have to direct it, <laughs> you know? So, uh, and when the kid gets to be 18, he becomes this condescending smug little jerk. And it feels like the most real thing ever coming from the father of an 18 year old boy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, like I said, it's not the best movie in the world, but it's a, as somebody that, just likes film. It's definitely a very interesting movie to watch. All of Link, Link, Link Litter has a lot of interesting, um, experiments that he's done with film. You know, his whole, uh, series that he did with Ethan Hawke and, um, I can't remember her name now, the French actress that did, uh, the, uh, before midnight and before mm, sunrise. Ju- Juliette Binoche, I yeah. want to say, but, uh, something like that. The, the, yeah, he, yeah. The, those three movies. And it's like every nine years, he comes back to those same two characters and shows what's going on in their life at this point in time. Nine years later, here's what's going on in their lives at this point in time. And they're even talking about making another one in a few years, nine years after the, the last one that came out. So I, I, I like that he's not afraid to, you know, experiment with, with different kinds of filmmaking. So I recommend that, that movie. And does anybody have any honorable mentions? Actually, most of mine have popped up. I, I, you know, Ferris Bueller was on my list originally, but not for the reasons Rick brought up. Um, 
I mentioned uh, My Bodyguard earlier when talking about meatballs. And this is a movie a lot of people haven't seen. I know it wasn't on DVD for a lot of years. Uh, it has a very young Matt Dillon. And I mentioned this kid, Chris Makepeace. He plays a young boy who moves to a new city and pays the biggest, scariest kid in school to be his bodyguard. And it's, oh, it's yeah, smarter than it sounds. Yeah, yeah it's, it's fun play. And uh, my other runner-up was Ghost World, which is uh, based on a comic book I happen to absolutely love. Um, this came out in, I want to say, late 90s. It has Thora Birch and very young Scarlett Johansson and Steve Buscemi. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a one girl's last summer before she's supposed to go away to college and exploring herself and identity and getting into all kinds of crazy misadventures in classic Daniel Close style. Worth, worth checking out if you haven't seen it. Okay. Rick, you have any honorable mentions? Uh, well, there's probably one that everybody listening is screaming at us for not mentioning uh, yet, and that's Breakfast Club. Um mm. I didn't mention it because I only saw it the one time. I I don't hold it in the same state of veneration as the rest of the internet seems to. Um, but also at that point in time, it's uh, I think that sometimes movies that become quote unquote classics, if you were around when they were released originally, and you were old enough to to you know just kind of it was just another movie. Uh, you know, I enjoyed The Breakfast Club. I remember almost nothing about it. I, I saw it, and you know, I saw it in the cinema. Um, you know, the, the strongest thing I remember is being grossed out when when um, um, ju- um, oh damn it, the Judd Nelson Judd Nelson uh, spits into the air and then catches it in his mouth. That's the you know <laughs> that, uh, that and Ali Sheedy. Sp- scratching her dandruff onto a piece of paper. (laughs) You know, these are the strongest things I remember of that movie. Uh, This is a really good point because, you know, for people of our age, this movie did not have the impact when it came out that people think it did. Yeah. And this goes back to what we were talking about at the start of the show with the Rotten Tomatoes. I didn't realize Breakfast Club was a big deal until probably five years after I'd seen it. Because if you remember, right afterwards, we either right after or before, we had 16 Candles, which was a much bigger deal. Mm -hmm. St. Elmo's Fire. And then Ferris Bueller. So these are all John Hughes' little progression. And Ferris Bueller was such a massive thing. Breakfast Club was like his practice film. And years later, home video, right, it became this venerated film. And I I like it. I've I've seen it a few more times since. And it's enjoyable. And I relate to some of the characters. But, uh, yeah, I didn't mention it specifically because that's the automatic one. Yeah, yeah. uh, My other honorable mention uh, that I'd like to throw out there is The Last Starfighter. Um, Good one. Uh, you know, it. I, I've I've talked about it. Have I talked about it on this show? Yeah, you have. You, you okay, talk, you talked about it on. Uh, I can't remember what the topic was. It it wasn't long ago, but yeah, and it's yeah, a good yeah. movie. You can talk about it as much as you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I I recently rewatched it uh, because I was doing it, was going to talk about it in depth on on the Atomic Trivia War nine or not. Uh, well, Jason Jason Hawks movie night Atomic Trivia War. Uh, nine thousand, whatever. How do you and keep track I, of all these shows? I remember don't. when we had one show. <laughs> we just did one. It was so easy. Uh, but uh, it, it just—I love the movie, but it's also it—it it only just—it falls just short of being a good movie. And that's why I don't want to put it out there as this is a good coming-of-age movie. It's a great nerdgasm movie i mean this is every nerd boy's wet dream um but 
I don't understand why it's not been remade because it desperately needs to be remade with a little more depth to it, much better special effects. Uh, and yet it's, it's just, it's languished in production hell that, you know, every so many years you hear about a, a, a remake or a sequel and then it just never happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I've got other things on the list, Scott Pilgrim, uh, but I, you know, I enjoyed that movie, but I don't know that I'd call it a coming of age movie because Scott is so reprehensible. Yeah. Um, Harold and Maude, I loved it, but I can't remember a damn thing about it because I, it was so long ago. Uh, the craft, which was great, but again, you know, I, I don't remember a whole lot of it. So there's a ton of them out there. Oh yeah. Yeah. The only two that I have that I just wanted to mention was, uh, first of all, Teen Wolf. Because it's, I mean, definitely a coming of age movie. It's about a teenage boy dealing with the changes of his body, <laughs> you know. Uh, but that's, uh, that's, uh, from 1985, the, the first one, not, not Teen Wolf 2, the one with, uh, Jason Bateman. That one was just a money grab. But, uh, and also Stand By Me. And Stand By Me, it, the only reason that it's not on the very top of my list, because it's probably my favorite coming-of-age movie, but I just didn't think of it when I was making my list. I actually thought about it while we were sitting here talking. And since I didn't make a bunch of notes about it, I didn't want to uh, go into detail with it. But that's 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 when, uh, Kennedy, when you were talking about Corey Feldman, I was like, Corey Feldman's career began and ended with... Stand by me. <laughs> he's, he's perfect in that because yeah. the character he played is what he is. Yeah, pretty much. Everything else after that. And, you know, Stand by Me again, that's a, it was a little bit too obvious for, for me to throw in there, but I could watch that movie right now. Oh, yeah. I love it. it. I love it. It's, uh, it's gold. Based on, uh, based on a novella by Stephen King called The Body. In different seasons. Yeah. The yeah. Body. It's that book of four stories spawned, uh, Shawshank Redemption. Mm hmm. And a pretty decent adaptation of Apt Pupil as well, too, which one of the lesser seen King movies, but better than most people would expect. Yeah. Also a coming of age story. Right. But in a bad way. Yeah, they, they kind of all are. I mean, I know that Shawshank Redemption was about adults, but you can have coming of age stories about adults. You know, you're, you're coming of age into a different point in your life, you know, but, but that's, uh, that's pretty much it for our coming of age episode. If you've, uh, got anything that you want to add to our list, uh, let us know what movies that you would have talked about if you'd been on the show. Get in touch with us through Facebook or Twitter. Just search for Cosmic Potato and you'll find us. Or you can shoot me an email at mail at cosmicpotato.com. And just a little bit of house cleaning. Uh, this show, as well as every other show on the website at cosmicpotato.com has undergone some construction recently all of my shows were on spreaker and recently i've been working on building my own feed so that a i can have more control over it and b i don't have to spend any money on it uh (laughs) (laughs) everything should be working okay now but if you were subscribed to the show on itunes or somewhere like that and then you saw this show pop up on facebook or twitter but it didn't show up in your feed then you may have to resubscribe Though chances are that when iTunes updated, it re-downloaded every episode back onto your smartphone. I got a text from Rick early one morning to say, <laughs> yeah. why did all of your shows just download themselves again? I was like, sorry about that. <laughs> but if you're, if you're not subscribed to the show, why not? The show is awesome. Uh, find us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Podcast Addict on Android. We're not on Google Play anymore because they're very difficult to work with. <laughs> and any uh, wherever that uh, you do find us, be sure to rate us 
leave us a review and it'll make it easier for other people to find the show. But enough of that. We're going to call it a night. Kennedy, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. It's a blast. Always fun to talk to you guys. And Rick, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. And Kennedy, it's a joy to share the mic with you again, sir. (laughs) We shall do it again soon. (laughs) And until next time, take care of yourselves and bye-bye.